This episode is sponsored by the Academy for Virtual Teaching, a community of creatives building proficient, profitable, and professional online teaching businesses. Adding online education into your business is a no-brainer for adding passive income, but what if you're tech-challenged? What equipment do you really need and how do you use it? How do you edit video? Where do you find an audience if you're a beginner? It can be overwhelming. Take a deep breath, relax, and let the Academy for Virtual Teaching walk you through every step of the process. Their Virtual Teaching Masterclass starts on September 12th. It's a live, hands-on course with all the information you need in one place. They've got a plethora of practical tutorials on how to use all that technology, along with weekly coaching sessions at different times to accommodate international time zones. And they include extra lessons on marketing, website development, and business organization and administration. There's so much there that even experienced online teachers will find lots of ways to up their virtual teaching game. Head over to a4vt.com and see what they have to offer. That's a, the number four, vt.com. Come join the most supportive community you can imagine and start building a business teaching what you love. Thank you so much, the Academy for Virtual Teaching. And now here's the show. Welcome to episode 224 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we are talking about Knitwear Design, with my guest, Julie Robinson. A more inclusive fiber industry isn't just possible, it's necessary. That's what Julie believes. Designer and educator Julie Robinson is leading through example. Julie is known for publishing fashion-forward knitting patterns in an inclusive size range, and her courses on the creative and technical aspects of knitwear design are training a new generation of technical editors and knitwear designers how to do the same. Julie has spent over a decade in New York City working as a fashion designer and product developer for top brands. A lifelong crafter, Julie was inspired to pursue a career in fashion to learn everything she could about making clothes. Her curiosity has led her to work on a wide variety of products, including sweaters, dresses, socks, and even augmented reality costumes. And now she's sharing what she's learned from her career in fashion with fellow fiber enthusiasts. Julie Robinson, welcome. Thanks for having me, Abby. Yeah, it's great to have you here. I'm really excited to talk to you and learn more about your career. You said um, in your bio that you've been a lifelong crafter. Me too. I think a lot of people listening to the show can Mm -hmm. relate to that. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what you were like when you were a kid. Um, So I grew up in the suburbs of Detroit, Michigan, and I have some very supportive but not very artistic parents. Uh, They like to say that they're not creative, but I don't think that's true at all. They're both automotive engineers. So they were always really supportive of me and my interest in the arts. And so one day when we were out at Borders Bookstore and there was a kid's knitting class and I was obsessed and I had to go and I had to learn. And my mom's like, all right, let's do it. And so she bought me some needles and yarn and, uh, you know, I kind of got to work. And um, that was like the beginning of my craft journey, really. Wow, that's so cool. I had no idea that they taught kids beginner knitters at the bookstore. That's great, yeah. though. What a cool introduction. Yeah, they, they used to have like a lot of events out there. So yeah, we would uh, go to the bookstore a lot, obviously, and just kind of hang out and browse. And um, yeah, so that was that was like my introduction to knitting. My mom had done some crochet when she was younger. And it wasn't something she really stuck with, but we had some books. So she's like, here, have these books. And I was like, ugh, these are old <laughs> from the 1980s. Ew. <laughs> and um, so I was always on the lookout for things that I thought were like cool and more meant for me. 
And uh, yeah, so I was always kind of coming in and out of knitting and sewing and that sort of thing as a craft when I was younger. And when I got to high school, it became a little bit more serious, right? Because all of a sudden my mom's like, you're not growing anymore. You don't need new clothes every year. And I'm like, but what if I want to become a different person? What if I want to put on a new identity, you know? And so um, this was around the time where there was lots of live journal communities that were centered around uh, things like t-shirt surgery, and um, there was, what is it, craftster.org was pretty big, and nitty.com, of course. And that was kind of like my, my world, was learning craft online. So I know a lot of people have the experience of their mom or some other typically woman in their life who has, you know, showed them how to do a craft. And, and it's all about this bonding. And for me, my introduction to craft was largely through the internet. So that's always been really central to uh, my identity as a maker is this online um, community component. Yeah, RIP Live Journal because <laughs> like Craft Girl, I don't know if you were on Craft Girl, but that was a live journal that was like uh, all about like sharing, you know, what you were making. And before I had a blog, that's where, yeah, that and Craftster were like the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, forums. So I hear you with the online connection. I think that's really important. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking about knitting and sewing, really, um, both of which are pretty complicated crafts when you get into the sort of past the beginner stage and into the nitty gritty right. of it. Um, and it can be hard when you don't have a mentor in person to help you. Um, mm-hmm. So did you feel kind of like, you were able to really master some of this or was it kind of frustrating because there wasn't necessarily someone right there to be like, oh, you dropped a stitch. Let me show you what to do, you know? Um, Yeah, it was a little bit frustrating because, you know, a lot of people now have YouTube. And when I discovered YouTube and figured out that I could get tutorials from YouTube, that was like a game changer. Uh, Yeah, it, it was always a little bit harder to try to like master certain skills like you said after you kind of get the basics I had a few people I was able to rely on for uh, some sewing guidance but not so much the knitting and actually the knitting was interesting because I I ended up teaching myself a lot of stuff just by like feeling it out because I at when I was really young right I had this one lesson and then I didn't have them anymore because this wasn't like a weekly or monthly thing it was like a kind of one-off event and so I had that woman and then I had like these, you know, books with grainy photos and just my memory of what she taught me. So I was always like knitting backwards and, you know, just making a mess. And I worked on like the world's longest swatch for so, so long, just trying to figure out how to do these stitches right. <laughs> so it was definitely a slog at the beginning. But um, yeah, I, I was able to get some some help from, from people at like some local craft stores, um, eventually kind of helped me out and started setting me on, on my path. And then of course, um, by the time I, I was in high school, I, I had kind of decided that I wanted to pursue fashion as a career because I really liked working with these textiles and like I said, like creating these new identities for people. That was something that I found really interesting. So I decided to uh, go to New York City and study fashion design. And once I got into fashion school, then you're just surrounded by people who are so accomplished and so good at what they do. And, you know, um, all of a sudden, you know, the you get kind of out over that learning curve of the basics and all of a sudden you're just like a rocket ship, you know, just going a million miles an hour and just being surrounded by creative people and um, trying to come up with new and interesting ideas. So, Yeah. So were your parents psyched about you deciding that fashion and making and designing clothes was your career or where? Oh, they were terrified. I was going to say, <laughs> most people I talk to for this show who do go to art school or maybe don't go to art school but wanted to are sort of discouraged at 18 from plunging in head first. But it sounds like you went for it. I went for it. And, and like I said, my parents are always so supportive of me and always have been. And to the point where I decided I wanted to go to fashion school and I ended up only applying to two schools. I applied to FIT and I applied to Parsons and I was kind of like, well, wow, my work here is done. Yeah. I mean, that's it. Like just that's that you, yeah, you that's knew it. what you those, wanted. Those 
Yeah, those are the places I wanted to go. I think I had started an application to like one other school and then I went to Portfolio Day and I was really turned off by the rep that they had there. So I was like, I'm not going to finish that. Um, But yeah, I applied to two schools and I didn't really grasp a lot about (laughs) the application process, uh, I found out later. Um, But yeah, like my, my dad told my dentist, our dentist, our family dentist, that he was very nervous about what if I don't get into either school, right? Because I only applied to two. I didn't hear about this until after I had gotten my acceptance letter. And I heard it from my dentist. So like, <laughs> that's like the level of support that. Yeah, I, good I, for them. That's great. White knuckling it. Yeah. <laughs> so like, what can we do to help? <laughs> it sounds like you went to Parsons then. And um <laughs> and, and that must have really been a big, I mean, you mentioned like that must have just really been a big change because you get there and, you know, you'd been kind of like figuring a lot of this stuff out yourself, doing things wrong, all of that. And here's all of these people who've dedicated their whole lives to doing this, exactly what you wanted to do. So do you remember those feelings from freshman year when you were first there and realizing all of this? Yeah, I mean, the first year you actually don't even do fashion work. Um, at least you didn't when I was there. They have um, the curriculum is based loosely on the Bauhaus style. So your first year is called Foundations, and uh, you do a lot of different things. And they make you work with all sorts of different kinds of media. And you're supposed to like, you know, think deeply about what your purpose and what your calling is. And I was kind of like. You know, a lot of most of my my fellow students were the same way where they're like, I'm here to study fashion. We all watch Project Runway. You know, it's kind of like that time. And um, yeah, but it, it, the, when I when I finally got to the fashion first year, so like my sophomore year. Um, yeah, it was it was really challenging because it was very, a very demanding curriculum. But um, yeah, I learned I learned a lot um, being there and you know, getting to be in New York City in the garment district um, because the fashion buildings were still in the garment district then. And just, yeah, you're just in the center of all of it. You just just dive in, you know. And do they teach you kind of like entrepreneurial or business-related skills in a program like that? So that I'm curious about when you come out, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of people who come out of art school and they're kind of like, yeah, I knew how to be a printmaker, but I didn't know anything else about how to make a living as a printmaker and or, or something, you know. So what was that like for you at Parsons? Was there a business track or kind of skill set that you got? Uh, I did not. <laughs> not really. Like they make you take one business class. And it was kind of a joke, Uh, very basic business concepts, of course. But I feel like what I've learned a lot about, you know, being in business is like, you know, that that stuff is really only going to get you so far. And you really needed to be like focusing on your network. Um, And so things like that were not really explained well. So, yeah, I think um, they, they trained you very well in the Uh, like things like how to make a garment, right? Which is fun, something I like to do. A lot of my classmates did not like to do that, but I thought it was really helpful to me, right? As an artist and as somebody who just likes this stuff, but uh, it's not something that I do every day. Yeah, so when I came out of school, I I felt like, um, I kind of figured it out while I was in there, thankfully, but the things that they were training us to do is not the things that I was asked to do in my job day to day. Like going through the Parsons curriculum, you basically pretend to be the creative director of your own line, right? It's all about you finding who you are and presenting your vision. But um, working in fashion is actually a very collaborative thing. So you'd have maybe like one group project per year (laughs) or something like that. Um, And you know how group projects go, right? So uh, when you get into like the actual working environment, it's very different from what I was being taught. But I was able to get some good internships early on. So I learned things like, oh, it's really important to learn Adobe Illustrator and to learn it well, because that's something you're going to be using a lot because you're going to be, you know, you're going to need to do technical flats and um, you're going to be able to, you're going to be able, you're going to have to be able to draw them very quickly and a lot of them. And I did that for like, many, many years. So, you know, uh, I feel like Parsons prepared me very well to be 
an artist, but the job market for that is obviously like very small. And yeah, I don't think that like the the business training that I got was <laughs> really adequately prepared me for what I was about to encounter. I feel like I got most of my business experience uh, just through working for some relatively small companies and um, the instability of the job market that I have been in <laughs> for my whole career means that I've worked at a lot of different places. So I've done a lot of freelancing. And when you do that, obviously, by the time somebody calls in a freelancer, they're kind of like at their lowest, <laughs> they're like really in crisis mode. So I got to see a lot of things going wrong and I got to see a lot of things going right at other places. And I got kind of good at recognizing certain signs and, um, you know, seeing what, like seeing how different decisions ended up playing out at different companies. And I think that's been the most helpful for me in learning about business over the last decade or so. To talk about some of the sort of jobs, it sounds like you, you were working with a lot of different firms after graduation, but what were some that stand out to you um, where you especially learned, you know, specific skills that served you well? Um, obviously, my first job, I learned a lot. So I had started off doing a paid internship. And that was, you know, intentional on my part, right? I was felt very done doing unpaid internships. So I found a paid one at a pretty large firm um, that serviced Target primarily, Um but would just do a lot of uh, white label um, licensing deals, that sort of thing. And my my manager there, my direct manager, was so, so good um, and really helped me set up some good skills for being a freelancer and, and things that I still think about today in how I, how I work, you know. And she's like, technically, you are a freelancer, so that means, you know, you need to keep all of your files organized and here's how you do it. And, um, you know, make sure you just reset everything at the end of the day. And, you know, here's how we're going to work your inbox. And this is, you know, how I want you to deliver this information to me. She was just really, she was just a really good manager and she had her systems down and she was ready to, to teach them to me. So that was, that was definitely one of the standouts. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Wow. And a rare person who's, so willing to train somebody. Um, and so how soon after you entered the job market did you start Juliet Work or your own kind of brand? Um, I've always had like a little side hustle. So I I had, um, I started doing these, these knotted jewelry and um, these uh, eventually wall hangings when I was still in school. It was something I was playing at and I would occasionally go to different different marketplaces that were like weekend markets sometimes uh in in brooklyn um mostly like holiday markets so i did like is it bust yeah the bust craftacular i did one of those one of the first ones that they did i did um something in williamsburg now they've got like a full dedicated store now it's kind of wild but yeah i i was always just kind of playing at it and I would sell a couple and I would kind of go away and get too busy and then I would come back to it. And then, um, yeah, I would just kind of come, yeah, it's, I would go in cycles, right, depending on how much time I had, but I was never really, like, invested, invested in it. Right, because you had, I, a, you had a day job during that time, so job. it was hard to balance. And, it's hard to balance. Yeah, yeah, and can you describe this um, knotted jewelry and, and wall hangings that you're making? Because they're... They're like rope, but they're made with fabric. Is that right? Yeah. So they're covered in in fabric. I I just I don't even remember exactly how I got the idea, but I oh that's what I did. I I saw this like monkey paw like there's like this knot that looks like a circle basically, and I saw it at a at a store and I thought that was really cool. And so I decided maybe I would try to tie it. I still have not done it successfully, <laughs> but. Um, I saw that and I got a book from the library about how to tie some different decorative knots. And I started thinking like, oh, this would be really cool if it was like really big or something. And, um, but I want it to be luxurious and beautiful. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, what if I covered it in a, in a fabric? And 
I started uh, searching eBay for vintage kimono fabrics and um, bought a couple, and that's how I made my first few samples. Um, but yeah, they're all they're all using uh, different knotting techniques that are either like common in um, decorative knotting or in um, like nautical or like nautical uses. And the the core is the core rope or is the core fabric? Uh, the core is rope, technically. It's um, it's like a, a really thick um, cord that I got okay. from, from like a trim store. It's like, yeah, full of cotton, and then it's kind of got like a loose cage around it, like cotton cage. But okay. I've been kind of moving away from that. I, have, I haven't been putting much effort yeah. into it. Yeah. So this was kind of the first foray into... Um, having your own vision, your own business. Um, and, um, like you said, you did, did some markets and and they, by the way, they're like these pieces, the jewelry ones, they're finished with like finding jewelry findings and things. So they really look like a statement necklace that you would wear or something like that. I want to take a minute now to talk with our sponsor, Lyric Kennard of the Academy for Virtual Teaching. Hi, I'm Lyric Montgomery Kennard, and I'm here with the Academy for Virtual Teaching. And what is the Academy for Virtual Teaching? It's a community of colleagues. We are teachers who are constantly striving for professional development online as we offer our workshops to people all around the globe. That's awesome. And what if you're someone who's like, yeah, I would love to teach online, but all the tech just feels like super overwhelming to me. It can be completely overwhelming. There are so many choices and the equipment you use and the software and the way you use it kind of depends on what it is you need to teach. We have the most amazing class coming up. The Academy's virtual teaching masterclass is kind of our capstone um, offering. We take people who want to build a business teaching virtually, whether it's live Zoom workshops or creating your own on-demand courses and everything in between, and show them how to run every step of the process. We start at the very beginning from how to plan your courses to taking inventory of what you already have, which we always encourage people to start with. Start easy, start where you are, it's not that hard. And then we talk about equipment and how to use it, how to film, how to edit video, and we go on to all the business aspects, websites, marketing, newsletters, um, administration, contracts. It's pretty much an A to Z coverage of everything you need to build a virtual teaching business. It's so fabulous. So tell us where we can go to learn more. You can find us at A4VT. That's A, the number four, VT, the Academy for Virtual Teaching. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Lyric. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lyric. And now back to my conversation with Julie. And then how did you uh, sort of get back to the knitting and knitwear design. Yeah. So I, in like around 2018, I think I just decided I wanted to make myself a sweater and I had like done a top down raglan before, very simple and based it on some shirt that I already had. I was like measure that and I just kind of went for it, freehanded it. Um, but I started designing something in my head, right? And I couldn't find anything that was like that. And so I was like, okay, well, maybe I can design another sweater. Actually, I have all of that knowledge. It was kind of like hit me. I, for some reason, I didn't think that that was something that I could do (laughs) until that point. But yeah, I was like, you know how to draw a pattern. You know how to make a garment. You can write a knitting pattern if you wanted to. And so I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to make this sweater that I have in my mind and I'm going to write it down and I'm going to submit it to knitty.com because why not? (laughs) And they accepted my submission, which my teen self was like freaking out. Like, oh my gosh, my sweater is going to be on knitty.com. There's nothing cooler in the world. Um, 
and I learned a lot from that. Yeah, and that was kind of how I came back to to knitting. And I started thinking like, okay, well, if that worked out well, maybe I could do some other things in knitting. Um, and I think shortly after that, I, I found myself again kind of like in between jobs. And um, this was like around the time there started to be some bubblings about uh, people realizing that, you know, racism is a thing. And like, oh, uh, fat people have been, you know, just excluded for years from the knitting industry. And so people are talking about that stuff. And I saw somebody ask for um, a teacher to teach um teach people about pattern grading and I was like yeah I can do that <laughs> I look at tech sheets all the time I, I know what um, what different sizes look like I know how to how to create uh, products for a large number of people I can help you with this uh, and so that was kind of how I got into into teaching um, and where and where was that first class? Was that online or in person? It was online. Yeah, I was. Um, it was on the Tech Editor Hub. I started. Oh, sure. That. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I put together a class, and uh, we were together for a couple of years, uh, like about two two years. I think the class ended up coming out in like 2019, fall of 2019. Um, earlier this year, um, I, I decided to, to go solo. I have a bunch of ideas that I wanted to do for my class and um, where I wanted to take it and some new classes that I wanted to offer. And so I thought it would make sense to kind of uh, put it all under one place, just bring, bring all of the things that I'm doing together. So that's kind of where I am now. Okay, <laughs> right. So... Um, how did you come up with the name of your business and your website, which is Julie at Work? Because I think it's really cute. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I started uh, doing Julie at Work when I was still working on my um, the fabric jewelry. And um, I had a different name that was really embarrassing. <laughs> so I won't tell you. <laughs> but um, yeah, I wanted to like rebrand my Instagram first. I was like, I don't know what I want the name of my business to be, but I just want this to be like a place, like my portfolio site, basically, like whatever I make, whatever I do, this is where I'm going to put it. So this is Julie at work. Um, and uh, yeah, then I just decided like, yeah, that's, that's pretty catchy. Maybe I'll get that for my website too. And then again, right, like everything, I like everything under one roof. I like to try to keep it simple. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good choice because we just talked about you pivoted from creating jewelry, handmade jewelry, to creating classes for knitwear designers on pattern grading, which are two really different things, both of which you mm -hmm. are skilled to do. But the Julie at Work umbrella contains all of that. And, you know, if 10 years from now you became a ceramicist, it would still <laughs> do the same. Exactly. Yeah, which is smart. Um, you know, I, I think it's a little bit harder to shift around when you've named it something that's like, you know, rope jewelry. <laughs> and it's right. difficult to, <laughs> to figure out. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so that's pretty cool. And, um, and the pattern grading, it, it sounds to me, I'm not a knitwear designer, but I do, you know, create a sewing patterns and sew sewing patterns from time mm -hmm. to time as well. And, you know, I feel like grading is a very specialized skill. It's something that, um, you know, you can learn to knit, you can learn to knit well, you can learn to design. But when it comes to grading, that's like something that's like an advanced level skill. So um, when you think about grading and, and your students, would you agree with that, that, that it's pretty... Um, I don't know. It's a next level, I guess, skill to yeah, learn. It, it is a next level, and and yeah, I, I agree. And I definitely, I definitely get like a lot of students who have been working on their knitting for a while. I think um, the major mind block that people run into when they start designing, obviously, is that now you have to take other people into account. And so, what I always say is like, this is the mark of the true professional is being able to. Um, design for others, right? Everybody who comes into my class is very skilled at designing for themselves, for their friends, for anybody that they can get in front of them physically, you know? 
but now, like you said, you're taking it to the next level and there's this like layer of abstraction. So it can be a little bit difficult uh, because there's not a lot of hard and fast rules. So I feel like my job when I'm teaching is to try to like give people as much of a framework as possible, right? And kind of give them an order of operations and give them a lens to view their individual garment uh, in so that they can make the best choices for them and for the maker. Yeah, often um, I find people really want hard and fast rules, whether that's looking at copyright law or even like health and wellness, like, you know, what do I eat or whatever it might be. You know, I feel like there's something in the human mind that just really craves like, what is the law? Like, what? What is it? And when you can't answer that, which most often when you have a sophisticated understanding of something, you can't. It's the, the best answer is it depends. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and that can really lead to frustration from adult students in my experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. I, I try my best to to give them, you know, like I said, it's like there, there are these orders of operations. And if you get to this point, now you need to ask yourself, you know, a series of questions to figure out which direction we're going to go. You're probably going to choose this. You might need to choose this other thing, though. Right. So just trying to, like, like I said, get them into the flow. And so, um, yeah, I just recently uh, did a little revamp on my on my class. So um, it's six weeks of instruction. And the idea is that you come in with uh, your unique design, right? Or something maybe from um, a library of patterns that you've edited in the past. And you can bring that in and it's a real world design and you can see what happens, right? And you get confident working on something that you yourself designed. I also have like a whole library of um, designs that people can choose from. So they have like a few different constructions and different constraints as far as like needle size and uh, what yarn you're using. So you can have like a more challenge, uh, a bigger challenge if you need it. Um, So yeah, but I, I, I give them that. So you're supposed to go through at least one pattern, right, in six weeks. And then after the instruction ends, I've been giving people um, a series of uh, like times when they can just like drop in. It's like office hours. And they can just bring questions. You can start a new pattern. You can do a new project and you can still work through it with me and get feedback and um, all that sort of good stuff. So, yeah, it, it, the, the, it depends really it drives people up the wall, I know. <laughs> but, um, you know, as soon as you give them at least like a, a map of some sort, right, it, it and instantly helps them feel you know significantly less lost, even if, you know, there's not a hard and fast um, answer, right? It's not yes, no, it's contingent on all of these other factors that are kind of going on around you. And when you look at the landscape for inclusive sizing within the hand knitwear world, um, in the years that you've been either observing or participating in it, have you seen change take place? Or what? where do you feel like you know, the biggest, uh, opportunity for change exists there. Um, yeah, I've definitely seen some improvement. I've seen improvement in, you know, a number of publications. Um, every person who decides to come to my class is like a testament that people want this, that they want to do this. And I think that's wonderful and beautiful. And it always excites me that, you know, I have these people who are interested in learning these, these skills. Um, so yeah, definitely seeing positive, positive change. Uh, I think the biggest opportunities I see, um, there's still a lot of misconceptions about like who owns this, you know, uh, I think the way that collaborations are set up for, uh, designers and publications, uh, I think there's some work that can be done there because some publications will have a full set of size charts and, you know, things that they do for their grading and they'll give them to you. And I always love that. And I think that's great, right? Like that's very much what I'm used to and what I would expect from my background is like you go to a different brand, they've got their whole uh, thing kind of like figured out and they have their grade rules and you follow them and you do not change them, right? These are something that have been worked on for a long time by 
you know, people <laughs> within the company or, you know, maybe some, um, some freelancers, some consultants, um, but they're unique to that brand and that allows people to come to expect something. I find that with uh, magazines in particular, they're a little more like loose on it. So they'll, they tend not to have um, size charts that they'll send you. They'll be like, just use what you want to use or, um, you know, they'll send somebody to any number of free resources that are available and say, pick one, right? And I don't particularly like that because I feel like what you end up with is, you know, you have this brand, this publication, and everything within it is like a question mark. So even though it's been edited, you know, there's not like a uniformity of fit of body type, you know, um, I think that's why a certain kind of person really likes this indie pattern movement, because you get used to a certain person's way of designing. And there's uh, certain characteristics that come up again and again, right? So um, I know there's like one person, they've got notorious little bird arms and uh, people are like, I love her designs, but I always have to increase the bicep, you know, but there's like a, a consistency there and that's part of why people like it, right? So even though you have to do this modification every single time, you're expecting to make that modification and you know that you'll have to do it um, or you know that it fits you perfectly and you buy stuff from this designer all the time. So I feel like that is a place that certain publications could be stepping up and um, saying that, like, yes, we collaborate with designers, but um, I think at the end of the day, that collaboration, what results of that is really the, the, the magazine, the product is the product. And so that is the brand that's kind of leading to the customer. And so I feel like those publications should take a little bit more of a, a heavy hand in deciding um, what what size chart should be used and like how, how garments should be, should be graded. Yeah. Just as they're um, curating the aesthetic of that particular magazine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe it's all sort of a certain kind of modern look or romantic look or whatever it might be. And you come to expect you're going to open this magazine and the patterns within are going to sort of align with what I would expect. What you're saying is the same should apply to um, the sizing charts there so that it's not a hodgepodge of contributor, but is really uh, that magazine's particular way of creating size charts. And you can always know that that is going to align no matter who created the pattern. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. That's interesting. Interesting topic. And I feel like Maybe that extends to books as well, or certain book publishers as well. Um, oh. Yeah, maybe. Um, hmm. Just to have that consistency there where you're working with different authors, but these are our guidelines. And so you're going to need to, you know, sort of figure out from within there how yours will work or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's an interesting thought too. Um, cause yeah, I think that's what I get a lot from my students is they say, I don't know where I'm supposed to get these, these things, like how am I supposed to find a size chart? And so, you know, there's kind of like three that are super prevalent in the knitting industry. Um, and so you see, you do see a lot of consistency, um, weirdly enough, right. In certain ways, uh, because a lot of people are referencing the same charts, especially when they like start out. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's something that a lot of my students struggle with is, is, um, you know, that's, that's like a step beyond just grading, right. Is to create your own size chart. Um, and how do you, how do you do that? How do you, I see so many people do this constantly. And, and I always, I always am really excited that people want to do this kind of work, but like doing a really comprehensive survey is so hard. And, you know, even getting a couple hundred people to respond to your, to your requests can be a difficulty, right? Um, <clears throat> so it's very hard, I think, for a lot, a lot of people who come into here and they are very proud of themselves and very proud of their work and they want to do a great job, but they just don't have the resources necessary to like, do like real investigative, you know, like science projects, basically to like put together um, 
a size chart or something like that. But there are a lot of um, resources that are available out there. And I try to like steer my my students to them. And there's like a lot of ways that um, people in the fashion industry go about. Sure. Um, so you don't have to start yeah. from scratch. I mean, you don't have to start from scratch. Right. No. These bigger brands aren't starting from scratch either. You know, yeah. there's resources out there. But if you haven't worked in the industry um, or had sort of professional training there, it can be difficult to even realize what's available to you. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So that's, um, that's super valuable to introduce people to. And you're also somebody who, um, is very aware of trends. You wrote a really great trends piece for your own site. And then I asked you if you would create one for our site as well about knitwear trends. And it was really popular, um, that, that piece. So I appreciate that you did that for us and love to do it again down the road, but being able to observe trends and understand what's coming, obviously before it comes, kind of like predicting the future, um, (laughs) is, is hard to do. It's certainly very, uh, in demand. You know, we had a a session with Trisha Malcolm at H&H Americas about trend forecasting, I think it was one of the most popular. I mean, it was completely packed in there. Um, and for good reason. This is something that really applies to all businesses, whether you're, you know, an individual designer or head of a really big company um, in the crafts industry. So um, I'm imagining you have just a personal interest in trends and some professional training in it as well. But maybe you can help listeners understand a little bit about where they should look or how they should start to think about observing what trends are coming. Okay. Yeah. Um, I do love trends. I love trends personally and professionally. Absolutely. Um, that's like one of my favorite things about doing, starting a new collection is, is doing the trend research. So what I like to say is like, you need to take like a really wide lens. That's what I like to do at least is take this wide lens and, and you're looking for trends all over the place. Like if you are on social media, that's great. You should be like collecting little things and like tagging, uh, bookmarking pages and stuff. Um, I think magazines like fashion magazines are probably one of the last places I'm really looking for trends these days. I'm really looking for what's on the racks in stores. I love to walk around stores and see what's out there. And pay attention to kind of like what's been selling, what's not selling. Uh, You can do that online too, of course, seeing like what sort of styles are selling through and what is sticking around throughout the season. Um, Yeah, it's, it's um, when you can take like a wide lens and that's what I, I think it's really important and, and makes you can really like transform trends for you, right? Where it's not just about like, I see this and now, you know, X, you know, happens afterwards. It's like, that's the part that kind of helps you start to contextualize, I think, and um, kind of understand how people are feeling. Um, Cause that's really what's always motivating us, right? It's our, our emotions. Where are we in our life? What do we need? You know, that's, that's what drives our, our purchasing. So, um, you know, paying attention to just like current events is really important as part of, trend forecasting, but that's kind of like a little bit more of an advanced move, I guess. Yeah. But, um, focusing on what people are wearing on the streets and yeah, seeing what's in stores is like a really good place to, um, to start. And, um, you can kind of see what's popular. Like if you haven't, if you've never been really privy to trends or you haven't really like paid attention to them, just try to keep your eyes open and like see what's out there and see how many things start to repeat. Cause if you go to like maybe four stores in a row, you'll probably start to see some patterns because that's really what I, I think trend trend reporting is. It's uh, it's like about uh, pattern pattern recognition. Yeah, that's exactly it. what I was just going to say. When I start to see something three times, I'm like, okay, that's a trend, right? So yeah. it's interesting. And I love your idea of the wide lens. So this could be like you might see somebody on the street or somebody on TikTok, right? And then you could see it also in a store window, Right. And then you could see it, um, it, you know, maybe on the page of a newspaper or magazine, or maybe you see it, um, you know, for sale in a store or something like that. So you just start to see things over and over again, whether that's a color or a style or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when it it sort of 
and, and I think you're you're right to say like noticing, right? Just actually taking the, the time to notice it and register it in your mind. Okay, that's something. Yeah, exactly. And it's such a funny time too. Like it's we're we're in a funny point in the trend cycle where it feels like it's going faster than ever, but also feels like it's going nowhere. <laughs> right. It's so um flywheel. <laughs> it's it's so like scattered, right? There's so many thousands of micro micro trends that it feels like there there's no movement forward which is interesting oh man I don't I don't love the micro trend idea like I thought I did but then I kind of realized so one of the things obviously when you when we start a new um new collection I usually get uh some guidance from uh, a trend hunting service such as WGSN and uh you know they've got like a bunch of stuff but uh every every year it doesn't change substantially you know it's kind of like that devil wears prada thing right where it's like florals for spring how groundbreaking but like seriously every year it's florals for spring it's white it's eyelet you know <clears throat> it's there's there's not this like seismic change that happens between every single season or even like you know year to year they're much more subtle shifts. And I, I feel like there's this really outsized reputation in fashion for, you know, coming up with something new and different. And it's so devastatingly, you know, different. And if you don't do, you know, this exact thing, everyone's going to know. And, and I don't know, something bad's going to happen. But like, I think that trend should be fun. I don't think that you should like stress about them that much. Like, yeah, they, they can be a, a lot of fun. But um, yeah, but the, yeah, the micro trends, I'm like, the bringing microtrends out to the general public felt like seeing all the stuff that I saw on WGSN all the time and just like bringing it to like the mainstream um, where it's like we have to pretend like this is new because I need to sell it to somebody as though it is new, even though it is just a white eyelet dress, you know, same as we did last season. But this one's new. You know, what am I going to call it? I'm just going to call it something slightly different. And so it's like, OK, maybe last year it was cottage core. And now it's, I don't know, like, um, yeah, like <laughs> it's vintage something or other. Like you just, you, you twist it around. So you just spin a slightly different story and that makes it feel fresh again. <laughs> and when it comes to um, diversity within the knit, knitting community, the hand knitwear community, um, you mentioned at the start in your intro that, you know, this is a... a um, idea that is really important and crucial to you and your mission and your work. It's certainly something that's been on, I think, all of our minds for for several years, if not longer. Um, And have you seen some changes, some positive changes there? And and kind of the same sort of question regarding inclusive sizing, where are some of the opportunities that still exist there for for more uh, more shifts? Yeah, that one's harder to say. I think that there've definitely been more opportunities that have been made available to, you know, me and and certainly a lot of people that I know and I love that for them. Um I think the feeling that I've been getting from a lot of people in my circle is that they're always just like a little bit worried about being tokenized at this point because like a lot of these opportunities that we get still really frame you as an other. It's like, okay, you're a knitwear designer, but you're a black knitwear designer. Okay, okay. And I'm like, listen, I'm a black woman in America, like love that for me, but you know, I'm here to be a knitwear designer first, you know, and so, you know, like I will I will represent myself all day every day. I cheer for black women all the time, but like if I get like the feeling that somebody wants to like just work with me because I am quote unquote diverse, like that's weird, man. I'm not about that. Um I think it's a really tricky it's a really tricky question and it's a really hard um situation to to be in right because uh it's all it's all about context and it's all about like what kind of relationship have we had before and what exactly are you asking me to do right um there's a joke among among a lot of like black creators this is like completely outside of craft industry but you know rates double for february right where it's like if you can't call me any other time of the year but you call me for february like that's a problem um I don't know. It's a hard thing to say about like what to do 
exactly because like you know diversity in this way is not actually like my mission at all um that sounds weird that sounds very bad i i am not i i do not style myself as like um a diversity inclusivity expert you sure. know like yeah. my experience is my own basically and i don't wish to be um like uh, yeah like i don't wish to be the representative of all black makers and stuff like that um yeah i'm not i'm yeah i'm not really sure what the what the answer to that is like i think it's important to have spaces that are you know for by and for minorities um but like as far as businesses like making sure that they have inclusive hiring processes like you know i don't i don't exactly know what to tell you like that's not again that's not my my ministry that's not my my area of expertise i'm just like i don't know shout your message as far and wide as you can and read every resume <laughs> That's my hot tip. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's helpful to hear. I think that that all of those reflections are really helpful to hear. Um, so thank you for sharing them. Um, <laughs> you know, I, it can be uncomfortable to talk about, but I, but I still think it's, um, it's, it's, Oh, it's so important to talk it's about. It's super important. So yeah, yeah. So thank you. And I know you have, um, a new project that you're working on. Um, and it's going to be a new online class. You mentioned earlier about your, um, pattern grading boot camp online class. Um, mm-hmm. and now you're working on one that's going to be more focused on sort of the creativity and the design process, which sounds a little bit more getting back to your roots at Parsons or sort of tapping into your voice and creative voice and things like that. And that's certainly a topic that a lot of people want to learn more about. Yeah. So yeah, the idea with this is, like you said, it's going to be more about the creative part of the design process. So, you know, pattern grading bootcamp picks up when the item has been designed and you have your sample ready and now you want to turn it into something that everybody can make, right? But there's a whole lot of work that goes into getting up to that point. So that's what this new class is going to be about. And um, I'm excited because I'm going to plan to roll in some of the stuff we were, like we were talking about earlier today about trend research and how to evaluate your ideas and how to like make sure that you are coming up with great ideas, how to organize them, how to iterate on them and um, how to kind of pick out what the really what the really good ones are. What do you think that people will really like? Yeah, that's a great idea. And, you know, one of the things that I've um, noticed over many years of working with creative business owners and myself included in this is that sometimes the thing that you want to make most isn't necessarily the thing that's going to sell the best. And sometimes it is. And sometimes you make it anyway and produce it as a pattern to sell anyway, just because it, it makes you happy, even if it's never going to sell there, you know, become a bestseller for you. And then there's other times when you hit on something that just goes crazy and takes off and, you know, everybody seems to want it and you're sort of like, well, that's not even my favorite thing, but it seems like everybody else just loves it so much. And now I have to make part two because it's like got to have a sequel or something, you know, because it's so popular. So it can be so tricky when you're an independent maker and designer to, to sort of balance those things of what do you love? What speaks to you and is true to your style? And then what's going to sell, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, balancing that. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because, yeah, that balance is like what separates a hobby from a business too, right? Where you can make something for yourself and it might be wildly popular, like you said. And if it is, then, oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you. That's awesome. But the likelihood of that happening is relatively small, especially if you uh, are lacking, as I am, in like marketing. <laughs> That's been my big push this whole year is learning how to market myself. Um, but yeah, uh, it's 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 so hard, right, to to have people be like, I poured my heart and soul into this. I would like to sell it, and then look at what they made and be like, I don't know about that, you know, like. Yeah, that's exactly the sort of thing I, I want to help people like get out of and like break through because it, it, it really breaks my heart sometimes um, to see people who spend a lot of times, a lot of time developing a product and then trying to figure out if they have a market for it. And I'm just like, 
you know, market forces are important, right? If we're going to run a business, if we're going to be trying to make money, then that's a very important thing that we need to take into account. If you would like to make some beautiful things that please you, I also love that for you. But that, my friend, sounds more like a hobby. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I think you've made some really good points about professionalism, whether it's with learning grading and inclusive sizing or with finding product market fit, that the sort of piece that comes in where it's truly about being a professional and being in business is that separation between your personal self and your personal likes and dislikes and also just taking things personally, which is so hard too with feedback, you know, creative feedback on something, as you said, you poured your heart and soul into versus like, this is a business and I'm looking at it sort of from a more objective standpoint, um, even if it's just me in this business by myself. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like coming through art school, sometimes people can be pretty mean in the in critique. So I'm like, listen, I've been through critiques. I've been through like 10 years of critique where, you know, a lot of the stuff, a lot of stuff I work on, it's like, this is not for me. I would never buy this. I wouldn't buy it for anybody I know, but somebody out there loves it. And so I need to make the best version of it for them. Right. And yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that's a group project. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and um, before we get to your recommendations, because you've got some really good ones, I just wanted to also touch on some of the collaborations that you've done because I think another really um, great way to build a business is to collaborate with mm-hmm. other businesses that um, and mm-hmm. that you can kind of co-market and grow together. And you've done some really beautiful ones. I'm thinking about your collaborations with Knit Collage, the Fiber Company, uh, Neighborhood Fiber Company. You've done several different ones. So I don't know if you have any tips or words of wisdom for making a collaboration. First of all, seeking one out and actually <laughs> getting it, because that's always like the first big hurdle. And then really making it work for both parties. Yeah, I've had um, I've had some really good experiences with my collaborations, like you said. Um, Nicolaj has uh, been probably my longest uh, collaboration uh, relationship, <clears throat> and uh, I love working with Amy. She's she's really wonderful. Um, as far as how to get a collaboration, I think when you're starting out, it's kind of a numbers game. Um, but the best thing that you can do is just come prepared and show people that you know what you're talking about. And I feel like that was very easy for me, right? Because again, I had this extensive background of doing that and like creating designs and pitching designs so I can put together a design pitch, no problem. And uh, I think with Amy, it was also like a really easy fit because we actually met at Vogue Knitting Live um, in New York a couple, however many years ago. And um, I looked at it and I was just like, wow, your booth really stuck sticks out and like I complimented her on on the booth and and on her aesthetic and we kind of hit it off and we found out that we have this like shared background so like if there's anything like that you know just like getting to know people on like a personal level can be like a good way to get your foot in the door but then you know following it up with like a really well thought out um pitch for them for like their their specific thing I think can be really good um caveat to that obviously is that some places have a whole process that they want you to go through as far as like how to pitch them so like just keeping an eye out for those sort of calls that's actually how I got in with the the fiber company was they put out a call for independent designers and independent designs that they would provide yarn support for and so I did that and that's how that came about Um, and after you do a couple of collaborations you know if you fulfill your 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 duties then people start to like recommend you for things right or people start to notice your work and and then they start to ask you to do things which is kind of the space that I'm starting to find myself in now where people ask me invite me to to do things yeah and Um, I think that your your newsletter um well when you were talking about focusing on marketing um your newsletter is wonderful and for anyone listening who doesn't subscribe to Julie's newsletter Definitely go sign up. And, you know, you, you I, I subscribe to a ton of newsletters because I'm a huge newsletter junkie. And I feel like your newsletter really stands out as something where you have a unique perspective and point of view. And you're going to find that in your newsletter. It's not just marketing your work, which it is, but it's also really looking at your perspective on the fashion world, on the knitting world. And 
um, conveying that and knowing that that's going to be in there, I always open it because I'm like, <laughs> well, I want to see, you know, this is a unique and personal perspective on what's going on. And I think that also when that lands in somebody's inbox, I don't know for sure, but I would guess that also helps to remind them, oh, look, this person who has this unique perspective is available. I could ask them to collaborate. <laughs> I'm so excited to hear you say that about my newsletter. That makes me so happy. <laughs> I love putting together my newsletter. I was always like really afraid of it for the longest time. And last year around December, I was like, I'm going to send out a monthly newsletter. That's what I'm going to do. And now I love it. I love it so much. Um, yeah, I think, you know, my, my biggest thing I, I always say about my newsletter is like, it's just, it's not just my stuff, right? It's just things that are getting me excited. And so if you like me and you like my work, then you're probably going to also like these other things that are getting me excited. So it, it, it makes me very happy to hear that that's, that's exactly what's happening because that's that's what I want. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So so go subscribe. Okay, we want to come to your recommendations. Um, okay. So you actually wanted to recommend a newsletter, which I've heard about. And honestly, I don't know if I've ever actually read an issue. It's called Today in Tabs. Oh, I love Today in Tabs. <laughs> I need to go subscribe to this one. Yeah. Yeah, Today in Tabs is like... Um, it's, it's just a very fun way. Like, um, Rusty, I think that's his name, the, the author of the, the newsletter, he just does a really good w- uh, job of distilling everything that happened today or yesterday. Uh, there's usually like about like a three day float right on, on events and he'll basically write top to bottom, like a narrative about all of the things that happened, but they, they're all unified by something, by one of those events that, that have happened. Um, and it's just uh, everything that's going on in the news, whether it's silly or serious, and it always ends with like a, a song. Um, yeah, it's just one of one of the most unique things that I've, I've seen. And it's not like a listicle, you know, it's mm-hmm. not, it's, yeah, it's kind of like anti-BuzzFeed, I guess, is kind of like a different way to put it, you know, where everything is like about a um, an information gap or, you know, making you want to like click on something. It's just, it's he's just, you know, giving you great editorials that he's read and, you know, weird takes, <laughs> funny memes. It's all in there. Yeah, it sounds really good. I, I'm going to subscribe. Um, I get the newsette, which is not quite the same sort of thing. It's a newsletter, I guess, for like millennial or Gen Z women, neither of which I am. But um, <laughs> but okay. but yeah, there's always good things in there. And it's definitely sort of a take on what's happening in the world right now. Um and there's always something in there that I'm like, oh, yeah, that, I would have missed that otherwise. So, um, so yeah, I, I love a good newsletter recommendation. You also wanted to recommend the Voxer app. Um, somebody tried to get me to, to download this app, and I was like, no, I'm resistant. But people love it. I do love it. Oh, my gosh. I hate voicemail. Um, my voicemail my voicemail box is full. Nobody can leave me any more voicemails, but I love Voxer so much. My friend um, Anastasia Williams, she got me on it. She's like, just download it. And I'm like, eh, I'll try it, I guess. And I was instantly addicted. I really only have like three people who I talk to on it, but I still love it. Okay. So that's another one. It's basically like a voice memo, like messaging app sort of thing. So it's just like a quick way to talk to somebody that's not a voicemail, but it is a voice message. Right. It's a voice message. I don't know why that distinction for me works, but it totally does. And I can just like leave her little quick things or I can leave her like long 10 minute, you know. Yeah. whatever whatever is on my mind and then your last recommendation is that i also you have such good ones i also have not seen this one before it's called the creative independent it's a blog and an instagram account yeah yeah i think everyone's going to really get into the creative independent it's good they have so many awesome interviews with people who are writers musicians ceramicists right like if you make something you can probably get uh, you, you can probably find somebody on there who, who's done it. Um, but yeah, they, they always have really good poll quotes, especially on the, on their Instagram from the different interviews that they do. And they've mm. got a really rich back catalog. So 
Nice. You need to like settle in and get inspired. I think, I think that's, that's your first step. Yeah, that's a good one to check out. Well, Julie, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I really enjoy talking to you. Well, thanks for having me, Abby. This was fun. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. This episode is sponsored by the Academy for Virtual Teaching, a community of creatives building proficient, profitable, and professional online teaching businesses. Adding online education into your business is a no-brainer for adding passive income. But what if you're tech-challenged? What equipment do you really need and how do you use it? How do you edit video? Where do you find an audience if you're a beginner? It can be overwhelming. Take a deep breath, relax, and let the Academy for Virtual Teaching walk you through every step of the process. Their Virtual Teaching Masterclass starts on September 12th. It's a live, hands-on course with all the information you need in one place. They've got a plethora of practical tutorials on how to use all that technology, along with weekly coaching sessions at different times to accommodate international time zones. And they include extra lessons on marketing, website development, and business organization and administration. There's so much there that even experienced online teachers will find lots of ways to up their virtual teaching game. Head over to a4vt.com and see what they have to offer. That's a, the number four, vt.com. Come join the most supportive community you can imagine and start building a business teaching what you love. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.